One of the justifications floated in defence of Russia's bizarre invasion of Ukraine in February was Moscow's desire to thwart further encroachment upon its western border by NATO. If the Russian lexicon does not include a melancholy proverb about the prudence of being careful what one wishes for, now would be a good time to coin one. This week, in direct response to Russia's rampage in Ukraine, Sweden and Finland submitted their applications to become NATO's 31st and 32nd members. For both countries, it is a seismic shift in their strategic posture and philosophical outlook. Sweden, though it maintains a serious military, has long been doggedly neutral, even sitting out World War II. Finland has pursued a Russia policy perhaps best characterised as don't poke the bear. Having fended off the Soviet Union in the 1940s, Finland has forged its path as a sovereign nation while being mindful of the sensitivities, rational and otherwise, of its mighty and volatile neighbour. Sweden and Finland have now both decisively and unmistakably picked a side. Why is this the moment? What do Sweden and Finland bring to NATO? And does this expansion make NATO's mission of defending the West easier or harder? This is The Foreign Desk. The thinking is if Russia is willing to do this to a much larger neighbour that it in many ways considers closer than Finland, then what would prevent Russia from doing this in the coming years and decades? In addition to which... Russia's loose talk about nukes certainly is something that concerned people because, of course, that's a deterrence that Finland cannot build by itself. If Finland were to join and we not, that would also be quite difficult for us. We are so-called security policy twins, I would say. And were that cooperation to be untangled by one of us being outside or inside the NATO, that would be also problematic nationally. Now, when we will enter together, we will also be able to magnify that bilateral cooperation for the greater good within NATO. You're listening to The Foreign Desk. I'm Andrew Muller. Later in the show, we'll hear from Sweden and Finland's ambassadors to the UK and NATO's former Deputy Supreme Allied Commander Europe. I'm joined, first of all, by Charlie Salonius-Pasternak, a senior research fellow at the Global Security Research Programme at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs in Helsinki, and from Washington, D.C., by Elizabeth Braw, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, a columnist for foreign policy, and a Swede herself. And, Elizabeth, on that thought, I will start with you. We are broadcasting this episode, of course, on the cusp of Finland and Sweden joining NATO together. If you think back even as recently as six months ago, how likely would this have seemed? Extremely unlikely, and that doesn't begin to describe how unlikely it would have seemed. It was just not in the realm of the possible, and it was not in the realm of the possible for Sweden because the government said it was against joining NATO, and on top of that, it said Sweden couldn't join NATO anyway unless Finland did, and of course Finland wouldn't, so it was just not conceivable. Charlie, to pick up on that point, though Sweden had sort of suggested that it would have to be both or neither, the reasons why Finland and Sweden stayed out of NATO were quite different, weren't they? I think so, yes. I mean, very shortly, I guess Finland's was more pragmatic in terms of often brought up neutrality. Finland had certainly 
been that, but it was a little bit of a charade, I'll call it, during the Cold War, trying to get the Soviets to recognize that Finland was not a threat, and therefore it was viewed as a tool. And as every Finnish government and political party has said in government papers in the last decade or decade and a half, there's a NATO option. We can choose to seek NATO membership if the security situation changes. And of course, it has changed. So it's a very pragmatic thing. My reading is of Sweden is, especially for the Social Democratic Party, there was much more of a identity question behind this, which probably made it actually much more difficult, especially for the Social Democratic Party, to change this quickly. If I can jump in, Andrew, it was absolutely an identity question for the Social Democrats in particular. And we should remember that the Social Democrats are the predominant force in Swedish politics. They have formed the government for the majority of Sweden's post-World War II era, and in fact, during World War II as well. And for them, they wanted to be seen, they wanted Sweden to be seen as a moral superpower. They wanted Sweden to be special, not to be like its neighbors, but to have this special role in the world. So for them to change their opinion, it would really mean recognizing that that position was wrong as opposed to responding to a national security challenge, national security situation that was changing. And that meant that really Sweden could only apply for NATO membership if Finland went first. And of course, conveniently for the Social Democrats, they knew that Finland wouldn't go first. So they always said, well, we'll think about it if Finland joins. And then Finland said, oh, we'll join. So, <laughs> And especially the Finnish people said, you know, we've looked at this for a while now we'd like to join, which then, appropriately enough in democracy, forced the hand of the Finnish political establishment. And then reflecting on the many interviews that I've given to Swedish media, where there was almost a surprise, you know, what happened here? Because it was this Finnish population citizenry that decided that now was the security situation had changed. And so it was time to seek NATO membership. Do you get the sense that the reason for the popularity of this move among Finland's people and indeed among Sweden's was a genuine fear looking at Ukraine that if they did not join NATO, then something of that sort could in fact happen to them? Yes, absolutely, I think it is. And it wasn't necessary that it would happen in the next month or two in the next year. The thinking is, if Russia is willing to do this to a much larger neighbor that it in many ways considers closer than Finland, then what would prevent Russia from doing this in the coming years and decades? In addition to which, Russia's loose talk about nukes certainly is something that concerned people, because, of course, that's a deterrence that Finland cannot build by itself. Elizabeth, has there been in Sweden any serious political objection or resistance to this idea, even on the perhaps self-interested basis that if we do this, it might actually provoke Russia into doing something aggressive or precipitate? Well, there has always been the argument that if we do it, then it's going to provoke Russia, which is why this moment is a unique moment in history during which to apply for NATO membership, because Russia is really tied up in Ukraine and can't do very much to respond. And as we have seen, it hasn't been able to do very much. It has issued over the past few weeks various menacing statements. But in terms of any sort of muscular reaction, there has been none. And in fact, Putin himself toned down Russia's reaction the other day and said, well, this is not really a big deal at all. And that's because Russia can't do very much because it's so bogged down in Ukraine. But the fear of a Russian reaction 
has always been on people's minds and has always been really the decisive factor, even among people who were, in theory, in favour of joining. They have always worried about this too, and they've sort of said, well, maybe at a later stage, but maybe not just now, because who knows how Russia would react. And so that has been, as a result, not very strong. The opinion among decision makers and the public for joining at any given time has been pretty muted. Then, of course, now the applications having been submitted. And this brings us to an interesting point about responses, which is that it really hasn't triggered a strong Russian response, but has triggered a mysterious Turkish response, which was totally unexpected. Maybe it should have been expected, but Turkey seems to have given assurances that it would support the membership bids. And then lo and behold, the moment they, they are submitted, Turkey says, well, hang on, we have concerns. Charlie, I'll ask a variation of that question to you specifically about Finland, because as you were explaining earlier, Finland's rationale for keeping out of NATO all these decades has largely boiled down to this idea of don't poke the bear. Geography is geography. Finland is where Finland is in relation to Russia. The two countries will always be neighbours. Russia is Russia. Let's try not to upset it. Do you think there is any aspect at all, that this is something Finland has actually long wanted to do, but always didn't for that reason, and now for the reasons that Elizabeth has laid out, thinks now is actually our best chance. So maybe it's not necessarily about protecting itself so much as just doing what it wanted to do anyway. If there was a like a longer-term latent desire to have joined NATO, Finland could probably have done it in the late 90s, early 2000s, looking at Russia's strength. Then the argument that you heard frequently, which I don't necessarily agree with, but you heard was we'd be joining in the wrong group. We don't want to be associated with, you know, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania joining because we're we're different in a way. Um, so as I said, I don't agree with that, that uh, idea, but that was the logic. But there is something deeper at play here, I think. If you look at Finnish history, there were some historical lessons which effectively meant that much of the population didn't necessarily see why we should join NATO. Uh, I won't go through all the history, but effectively a sense from centuries of don't get involved in great power competitions. And during the Cold War, of course, NATO and Warsaw Pact were frequently presented as kind of two tools of imperialist great powers. So don't get involved in either one of these. Um, then, of course, every country has quotes that are misused in a way. Finland uh, has one. It's outside on the Suomenlinna fortress outside of Helsinki. It says, stand here on your own two feet and do not trust or expect foreign assistance. This was kind of strengthened during the Winter War, while obviously not true entirely, because Sweden did actually materially help Finland. But these two things, stay out of superpower competition, um, don't trust foreign help. And besides, even if you were a part of the, an alliance, no one would come and help you. So this, in addition to the Russia factor, I think explains why a lot of Finns, 60 to 70 percent over a period of over two decades, from the late 90s to, well, frankly, six months ago, thought, looking at all of this, and we have a fairly robust military, we don't need to join NATO. Charlie Salonius Pasternak and Elizabeth Braw, thank you both for joining us. You're listening to The Foreign Desk on Monocle 24.
This is the Foreign Desk on Monocle 24. I'm joined now by Her Excellency Michaela Kumlin-Granit, Sweden's ambassador to the United Kingdom. Ambassador, thanks for joining us. The overarching theme of this program, I think, is how remarkable it is that we find ourselves in this position. What has that journey been like for you? Can you recall a particular moment over the last few weeks when you started to think that Sweden joining NATO had started to seem more likely than not, that it was actually going to happen. Yes, well, first of all, I just really just want to start by echoing what you said. I mean, we are talking about a historical decision. We have been conducting a policy of non-alignment for over 200 years. Mm. It's part of our political identity. It's part of the political tradition within many Swedes. So I must say, I really need to just stress that how historical this. And I would say that Maybe not only three months ago would have believed that we would have even been discussing NATO and so forth. But what actually happened was that we did have a deteriorating situation in our security climate in the nor- northern Europe or in Europe. But when we saw the Russian invasion or the aggression towards Ukraine, this was not only a hit or an aggression against the democratic and sovereign European country, it was not only a violation of the European security order as we know it from the since the Second World War or of international law. It was also the way and the sort of aggression, which was very brutal, systemic, and we see it continues to be structural. And this really shocked the Swedish public and me as well. At that point still, we didn't know how the effects would be on us or the public opinion. But quite early on, there was a big change in the Swedish mood because of this. And there was a realization that the policy that we have conducted, you know, that was non-aligned based on bilateral agreements with Mm. all our closest partners, that that was not really enough to give us the security guarantee that we would need living close by a neighbor with intentions that we saw and we had hoped that Russia wouldn't have had. But what really also, and I think this is maybe the most important point, is that on top of that, it was the acts of Finland. And when Finland started to move quite, you know, steadily Mm -hmm. in the direction and preparing for or looking for preparations when it came to submitting an application, this really got the Swedish public opinion moving. And that also got our politicians to very much follow and started to take that as an alternative in the analysis that was taking place in Stockholm and or in Sweden at that point. When you talk about that shift in public opinion, and you, and you are quite right, it is an astonishing revision of the way that Sweden has seen itself in the world and in Europe for the last couple of centuries. Do you get the sense that it was the Swedish public looking at what was happening in Ukraine and thinking that could be us, we feel vulnerable? Or was it more a case of the Swedish public looking at this and thinking, we have to pick a side here. This is not something you can sit out. I think probably both. First of all, that there's a realization how vulnerable we suddenly are, that Mm -hmm. if you have a neighbor that does not play by the rules at all and does not really have any hesitance on the brutality, it kind of feels that it's kind of also a threat toward us. But it's also something else, as you were saying. It's also a realization that we need to be part of that side on one side and we have a responsibility as well to be security providers and to be part of building European security. 
Because one thing that is different if you're outside NATO is that not only are you not covered by the security guarantees, but you're not sitting by the table and taking the decisions. Mm. And you're not part of what we need to be able to be part of, constructing or being part of developing that new kind of security reality that we're living in. So I would say probably both. Do you think there's any sense as well among Swedish public or perhaps Swedish politicians that perhaps Sweden has been, I'm not sure how you'd put it, naive or complacent in pursuing this non-aligned position with regard to Russia in recent decades in particular? Because certainly over the last few weeks and months when we've spoken to a lot of current or former politicians from the Baltic states, there has been a recurring theme from them of, we told you so, if only you would have listened. Do you think there is a bit of a sense now that Sweden feels like it may have misjudged the situation? No, I don't think so, because we have been quite secure in ourselves and quite true to the point that the non-aligned policy that we've had has served us very well. Mm. But up until now, and we saw this change with the Russian aggression and the brutality of it, there has been a completely new realization that the security environment is of another sort than it was just maybe a year ago or six months ago. So I wouldn't say that we've been naive. It depends. I think we have really seen the benefits of it. And don't forget, we have been cooperating quite closely through our bilateral networks, Finland, the Nordic countries, the Baltic states, the UK, the US. Mm. So it's not that we haven't had a very strong cooperation on the defense and security side. We have also, during this period, increased our defense spending. We have also developed our defense and military services. So we have been on that ball for quite some time. And also, just to illustrate again how the Russia aggression against Ukraine changed the thinking was that for the first time since 1939, we decided to deliver weapons to mm. another army, the Ukrainian army, which is also unheard of from the city side. So it's actually, this is a very transformative moment, I would say, this latest aggression of Ukraine. And then, of course, we have also been quite vigilant when it comes to the Russians after 2014 with the first Donbass. And it was from that point on that we actually started to look at the increasing of our defense spending and so forth. So we reversed it quite early on, actually, I would say. I mean, you're quite right in that Sweden has been heavily involved with NATO without ever quite joining it. Swedish troops have deployed overseas on on NATO-led missions. Sweden does maintain a very serious military, is a major manufacturer of defence equipment. Beyond all that, what do you feel like Sweden now brings to NATO? Is there a maybe a, a different way of thinking about European security that Sweden has learnt from however many centuries of non-alignment that perhaps NATO can draw something from? Well, I think just as you started off with saying, I think years of close cooperation with NATO has prepared us very well. We have been working and participating in all NATO UN missions for many, many, many of them. So we have a very high level of interoperability on that sense. And then we have the capacities, the capabilities, not only in the air, but also marine. But also, I would say that If you look at a map and you have now Finland and Sweden part of NATO, you also see that you have a consistency in geography, which means that you have also this Nordic cooperation that we have. That could also be magnified. You will have a much stronger Nordic component 
in the geography within NATO. And that will also, of course, support the security and the safety of, for instance, the Baltic states, which is something that they always also underline. And it's also something that I know that it will be very much appreciated from many other NATO countries. So you could say there would be a Nordic component. And then, of course, the sense of responsibility as well and being part of the European thinking also on, on the Nordic values and so forth. But we'll see. We're in a very early stage yet. I just want to finish by going back to what we were talking about at the start, about what an extraordinary vault face this is by Sweden. And for you personally, and perhaps other Swedes as well, for a country which has drawn so much of its self-image from this idea that it is detached, that it is non-aligned, that it is neutral, that it is peaceful, is there any sense of feeling like you've suddenly woken up in quite a different nation? We'll see. It's quite early days yet. I think that the realization once again of that something like this Russian aggression could happen Mm -hmm. so close to us, that this really was still a reality, where war, we thought, was something that was impossible, was not no longer impossible. I think that is what really changed things. I would also mention again the issue of Finland, because that's also a component. If Finland were to join and we not, that would also be quite difficult for us. We are so-called security policy twins, I would say, Mm. because we work very closely together. And were that uh, cooperation to be untangled by one of us being outside or inside the NATO, that would be also problematic nationally. Now, when we will enter together, we will also be able to magnify that bilateral cooperation for the greater good within NATO. Ambassador Michaela Kumlan-Granit, thank you very much for joining us on The Foreign Desk. Finland and Sweden joining NATO obviously strengthens the alliance militarily, but also dramatically extends, at least where Finland is concerned, NATO's border with Russia. Well, I'm joined now to assess the advantages and potential drawbacks by General Sir Richard Sheriff, who served as NATO's Deputy Supreme Allied Commander Europe from 2011 to 2014. Uh, Sir Richard, first of all, let's look at how this redraws the NATO map, specifically that fact that it gives NATO an extra 1,300-odd kilometres of border with Russia. Is that going to be a major strategic headache? No, it's not. It's actually, when this goes through... This is nothing but good news for NATO. Finland is a highly capable, very resilient and self-reliant country. They've got a very capable armed force. They could generate around about 200,000 in their army by calling on their reservists. Every Finn does national service and it's proper national service, not token national services in some armies. And the Finns know jolly well what it's like to be up against the Russians. You know, the story of the Finnish defeat of the Soviet Red Army in, 19, in the Winter War of 1939-40 is very much part of Finnish folklore. More broadly, what this does, particularly when Sweden comes in as well, is it locks down defence in the whole Baltic in an integrated way, which was always going to be difficult with two neutral countries. So no, nothing but good news for NATO. If we ask that same question in the opposite direction, how much more difficult does that potentially make life for Russia, particularly in terms, I guess, of manoeuvring in and around the Baltic Sea? Well, it does. It makes the Baltic Sea very firmly a a NATO lake. And it's a NATO lake through which the Russian Navy is going to have to, to sail whenever it wants to go in and out of St. Petersburg or indeed Kaliningrad, too. And and more broadly, of course, what it does is it strengthens NATO 
the fact that you've got additional capabilities, additional military personnel, all will present a united front to Russia, which Putin will not like. How seamless do you anticipate any amount of integration being between Sweden, Finland and NATO? I mean, obviously, they're not strangers to each other. Sweden has deployed to NATO or NATO-adjacent missions in Kosovo, Bosnia and Afghanistan, Finland also to Afghanistan. This is not a sudden joining together of strangers. No, it's not. The Finns and the Swedes are really old friends of NATO. I mean, I commanded a brigade back in Kosovo the winter and summer of the year 2000, so 22 years ago, with a Finnish battalion and a Swedish battalion integral to my brigade. Their doctrine, their thinking, their procedures, their staff procedures are all completely aligned to NATO. In fact, they draw their doctrine from NATO doctrine. And in many ways, I think of Finland and Sweden as more NATO than NATO, because they're much easier to deal with in some ways than some other NATO countries. So you you don't think there's any question of them needing to catch up anywhere? No, I don't think there will. I mean, they'll have to adjust culturally. And it, I wouldn't underestimate the cultural change, particularly for Sweden, which has been neutral since the end of the Napoleonic Wars. And Finland, of course, has been neutral right the way since the Second World War. And so there is definitely a cultural shift that's taking place. And I think in Sweden too, whereas in Finland, there is an overwhelming majority in the polling for NATO membership. I think there are elements in Sweden, in civil society, who will be a little bit nervous about throwing away that rather sort of preserved and pressure to them very precious neutrality which in so many ways defines Sweden's approach to international relations. Does that kind of national culture that sort of national background make a difference to how a military operates in the field especially in a potentially hostile environment? Well the the armed forces of, of every nation reflect its society its culture and its thinking and it's really the task of a multinational commander to harness it in a way that allows nations to play to their best. Obviously, you never give any, any nation a mission where, which is going to present challenges and, or problems in terms of national caveats and the like, because every nation has those. But it's sort of thing that NATO is very well experienced with dealing with, and I'm sure any such issues can easily be overcome. In terms of maintaining that deterrent aspect of NATO, especially where Russia is concerned, what do you think NATO would have learned more broadly so far about the seriousness of the Russian menace based on what we've seen of its performance in Ukraine? Well, clearly what we have seen demonstrates that the Russians are not 10 feet tall. We've seen here is a Russian army that is about as incompetent an organisation as any military organisation can get. And it has surprised us all that what we assumed would be a first world army with first world equipment and capabilities and doctrine and training and the ability to manoeuvre operationally has quite evidently not been that at all. However, Russia has mass. If it chose to mobilise fully, it could draw on huge resources in terms of manpower and capability. And we should never underestimate that. But I think in terms of the Russian capability, The reality now is that the Russian army is so fixed in Ukraine that it is unlikely to present a direct threat to a land border of of NATO. However, we've seen the Russians flinging missiles around with brutal abandon. And so I think that remains a real threat. The threat of escalation is absolutely real, particularly 
as Putin realizes he is increasingly backed into a corner, he realizes that his army is running out of puff and I think is almost on the point of, of reaching the culminating point, by which I mean they lose momentum so much that they can't continue to move forward and end up going backwards. And that's the time of great danger when Putin loses a missile off at a NATO supply base, for example, which is why I go back to my point about the alliance has got to be ready for the worst case. And the worst case remains war with Russia, because if there is such an attack, the alliance has got to be able to respond with absolutely overwhelming force to make Putin realize and demonstrate that willingness to do so beforehand to make Putin realize it's simply not worth trying. General Sir Richard Sheriff, thank you very much for joining us. You're listening to The Foreign Desk on Monocle 24. I'm joined now by His Excellency Jukka Siokasari, Finland's ambassador to the United Kingdom. Ambassador, first of all, and it's a similar question to the one I asked our previous guests, how surprised are you to find yourself discussing Finland applying to join NATO? Well, if we take that time frame 12 months ago, I would have found it very little probable that we would be having this discussion about Finland's NATO membership now. So it has been a very fast change in the thinking of the population and also in the thinking and action of our political leaders. Why do you think it's changed now and for this reason, though? Because this is obviously very far from the first time during the years that NATO has existed that Russia, or before that the Soviet Union, has thrown its weight around beyond its own borders. That is correct. And I think if we make comparison with 2008, when Georgia happened, and then 2014 with Crimea, there was a slight change in the attitude of Finns towards military alignment, but it was nothing comparable to what happened, let's say, starting from December last year and then culminating in February 24th, when Russia actually attacked Ukraine in a very cruel and completely unacceptable way, breaking all the international norms that we were expecting it to respect. So I think the big change really was the attack against Ukraine, but also the fact that Russia quite clearly tried to make it known that they will not accept any NATO enlargement to the East, including our sovereign decision to join if we so wanted. If we look a bit beyond that proximate cause, and I guess this is a question you could think about psychologically as much as strategically. What do you think is underpinning the decision now? Is it a fear among Finns and of Finland that it could be attacked in the same way that Ukraine was? Or is it more a sense of looking at the kind of country Russia has become and thinking it's time to pick a side? I think it is a combination of those two and other factors as well. There are certainly in the minds of some people in Finland, especially those who remember the Second World War when we suffered a similar attack from Russia. But I would not say that fear is the prevalent sentiment in Finland We have been preparing ourselves for something like this for quite some time. We have a very credible national defense and also a preparedness. We talk about comprehensive security. So we are not afraid in that sense. I think the latter part of your comment was quite accurate that we see this decision to join NATO now as a logical step in the path towards Western integration that we have had ever since the fall of the Berlin Wall. 
Finland's policy over the preceding decades has always been trying to negotiate this balance between acting as a sovereign nation and a broadly Western sovereign nation without doing anything that might upset Russia too much. That being the case, having taken this step, is there any concern that it might help feed Russia's paranoid narrative? This is this idea that Russia has that NATO is this expanding predatory menace on its Western border. And that Western border with NATO has just expanded enormously. I think the important thing is not to use the word NATO expanding. This is sovereign nations who want to join NATO, and there is a difference there. And I think that is behind the decisions of both Sweden and Finland in this sense. We see our decision to join as an attempt to maximize our own national security. We see ourselves as a security provider, and we think that when we and Sweden eventually join, that will increase the security and stability in Northern Europe, in the Baltic Sea region. We are not taking anything away from anyone else. So the fact that we want to maximize our security, which is something that we have been telling Moscow for many years, is not directed against them in any way. What calculations is Finland's government making about the merits of joining NATO versus the possible hazards of Russia's response? I mean, Moscow's ambassador to the EU, Vladimir Chizov, has already suggested that Russia will be obliged to bolster its military presence along that border. Are there any concerns at all about how Russia might react? Or is the assumption that the very fact of Finland's membership of NATO will cause Russia to think at least twice? Of course, there are concerns and you should never be complacent about security. And and that is why we will carefully monitor now the Russian reaction and the troops placement next to our border. It has been quite quiet over the couple of past months, mainly because uh, their, their forces, of course, are now targeting Ukraine. But then when eventually, and I hope soon, we will have peace in Ukraine, we shall see how and where the Russian forces will be. But it is probable that there will be more forces beyond our border as well, and we have to be prepared for that. But at the same time, we have had a very good cooperation with Russia on the border and with issues related to the border also during the the Soviet times and then throughout history of modern Russia. So we see no reason why we cannot continue that pragmatic and fruitful and and beneficial to both cooperation also as NATO members. Because there will obviously be areas of mutual concern that Finland and Russia will still have to deal with each other about, and ideally, well, possibly even areas of mutual benefit. Is there any worry, though, and I guess this is a corollary of the previous question, of Russia just behaving in a petulant, even self-destructive way, and it wouldn't be the first time? Thinking, for example, of something like the Saima Canal, which links the lakes in the south of Finland to the Gulf of Finland, which traverses Russian territory, is there any worry that Russia might make that impassable? That is one possibility, of course. And then again, that would be harmful economically to both sides. So we only have to um, wish and expect that Russia will behave in a rational way, also in economic terms, and, and they will not do things that harm themselves when dealing with us. We have had quite a lively cross-border traffic and cross-border trade Many Russians from St. Petersburg, especially coming to do their shopping in Finland. And of course, we would like to return to that eventually as soon as things are normalized. But we are far from that at the moment. You don't think because 
joining NATO is, I mean, I know there's been one or two exceptions to this, but broadly, this is a one-way proposition. Finland is joining NATO. Finland will remain a member of NATO, presumably for as long as NATO exists. You don't think that is necessarily Finland resigning itself to an eternally antagonistic relationship with Russia? Not at all. I think you're right in saying that we are counting to be permanent members of NATO. We are not going to join and then start rethinking in a couple of years. Finns are pretty steadfast in their decisions when they make up their minds. And I think our membership in the European Union shows that as well. We had a referendum on that issue. It was not very clear victory for the yes votes, 54-46, I think. But since then, the popularity of the European Union has just increased. So I think the same will happen with NATO once we're in we will stay. But there are also examples of other countries who are able to deal with Russia, even being inside NATO and our northern neighbor Norway is, of course, a perfect example. The border is much shorter, but they still manage to negotiate and have agreements with Russia on issues related to border traffic. We should talk a bit about what Finland brings to NATO, and Finland does bring to NATO, obviously, this extremely intimate and unusual relationship with Russia, which is what we've been talking about. But do you think, whether it is militarily, strategically, diplomatically, there's anything Finland can teach NATO about the reality of living next door to Russia? I would take a broader view of that. I mentioned earlier the comprehensive security concept that we have been fostering for the past 50 years, which means that we take a very wide view of what being prepared means. So it's not only the defense forces and things that have to do with the military. It is the whole society from rescue services to the police, to the health services, to even private companies that are crucial for security of supply and issues related to crisis situations. So that is something that we think we can bring to NATO and perhaps also show an example to some other member states on how we have dealt with this issue and maybe they could learn something from that. Another issue I would like to raise is the technological capabilities that we have, and not only in the military, but at society at large. We have one of the leading telecommunications networks, communications company in the country. We have research and know-how in artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and so forth. And these are all fields that I think there is interest for in NATO because the threats of the future are not going to be the same that we are seeing today. Finland's accession to NATO and indeed Sweden's as we go to where are not yet entirely officially done deals. You will be aware, of course, that Turkey, for one, is attempting to make a bit of noise about this. Do you take those objections seriously? We think we should take everything seriously when it comes to our membership bid. And we are certainly prepared and willing to sit down with Turkey and talk through their concerns with them bilaterally. My president has already expressed this readiness and he has talked to President Erdogan not so long ago. And I expect that there will be hopefully new talks very soon. We have a very strong commitment to counterterrorism. We condemn terrorism in all its forms. We stand by the policy of the European Union when it comes to PKK. So we are certain that we can find the solutions to the concerns of Turkey. And since we are applying for membership in the defensive alliance where Turkey is a member, of course, we take their security concerns seriously.
I want to ask finally a question, not so much of you as an ambassador, but of you as a Finnish citizen. When you reflect upon this enormous and significant step that Finland is taking, does it feel to you like Finland has become in some way a different country than it was, well, only three months ago? Always difficult to shake off your diplomatic uniform, but I'll, I'll give <laughs> No, I don't think we have changed. Finland remains to be the same stable, very functioning, transparent democracy that we were six months ago. But of course, I think the line of thinking when it comes to Russia has changed. And unfortunately, the trust between the societies is now very scarce. So we do not trust. And I think you said earlier that they don't necessarily take rational decisions. And then therefore, you have to be very cautious when you're dealing with a neighbor of that nature. But deep down, Finns are very much the same as they were, calm, determined and prepared. So um, this is how we want to see ourselves and this is how we want to enter NATO as well. And I want to take the opportunity here to thank the British government and the society as large for all the support that we have received. Ambassador, thank you for joining us. That was Finland's ambassador to the UK, Jukka Siokasari. You're listening to The Foreign Desk on Monocle 24. That's it for this episode of The Foreign Desk. We'll be back next week and look out for The Foreign Desk Explainer, available every Wednesday. The Foreign Desk was produced by Emma Searle and Christy Evans. Christy also produces The Foreign Desk Explainer. To contact The Foreign Desk team, you can email Emma at es at monocle.com and don't forget to subscribe to Monocle magazine and our free daily email bulletins by heading to our website at monocle.com. From me, Andrew Muller, thanks very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.